Jersey is the world. Hi everybody, Chris Gethard here. Welcome to another episode of New Jersey is the world. This one's coming out on Memorial Day. I hope everybody's doing good, getting ready for shore season. I hope you uh, got your got your places booked and that you're ready to go throw down and party at the Jersey Shore this year. Maybe we'll see you out there on the boardwalks. Who knows? Maybe you'll come. Maybe you'll come to the boardwalk Asbury Park. House of Independence, June 1st, this Wednesday night, for our 90s Jersey fashion show. That could be a good way to kick off your summer at the shore. Come hang out with us, houseofindependence.com, for tickets to that. Hey, uh, we haven't gone to the voicemails at the top of the episode soon, but I wanted to get this one out of the way because we heard from somebody who is a a West Orange resident uh, by way of Wisconsin who actually went and has eaten at that place in in, uh, Park Ridge, that Just Crumb Cake place that made Don Finelli blow a gasket. So we get to actually hear what it was like. Let's hear from Charlie real quick. Hey, this is uh, Charlie, Wisconsin native, now living in West Orange with my Jersey native wife. Uh, Your Crumb Cake episode couldn't have come at a better time for me because I literally just had my first two slices of Jersey Crumb Cake in the past week. One was a traditional one. It was a delicious slice from Supreme Bakery right here in West Orange. And the other one was actually from the now infamous Just Crumb Cake in Park Ridge. Uh, I think uh, Just Crumb Cake and a little cake, which you mentioned in the episode, are the same bakery. Uh, My wife and I were up there for our wedding cake tasting, and we got my mother-in-law some treats when we were done. You know, all the giant crumb cakes really draw you in when you walk into the shop. But we ended up going with the apple crumb cake. And while it was uh, mind-blowingly delicious, my very astute mother-in-law pointed out that because the crumb top is so big and over the top, you almost feel like you're eating two different pastries. You lose the cohesiveness that a traditional Jersey crumb cake gives you. Uh, and once she pointed that out, I totally agreed. I I like the old standard better, but uh, that's just a Wisconsinite expat, two cents. So excited to hear uh, Don's expert opinion when he gets it. And not sure if it flies as well, but we also got a giant lobster tail uh, pastry from there that really blew my mind. That was the best treat I ate this weekend. Uh, but excited to hear crumb cake opinion and uh, happy eating, guys. Talk to you soon. Well, I guess I won't, but I'll hear from you. Bye. Charlie, thanks so much. Any any voicemail that references the Supreme Bakery has a place on this show. And on top of that, so glad to hear that uh, the place up in Park Ridge is making great lobster tails and and making delicious treats and that if there's one problem it's that you it almost feels like you're eating multiple pastries at once which is a pretty good problem to have so much love to our friends up there at Just Crumb and uh, we're going we're going to get down some of that funfetti crumb cake and see if it was worth all the hullabaloo from that episode anyway this week's episode this is a very special one near and dear to our hearts Um, You may have heard in recent weeks, we've been doing an ad trade with a podcast called Dead End, A New Jersey Murder Mystery. This is, uh, WNYC's been putting it out, and we got in touch, and they wanted to put some ads on our show in exchange for ads on their show, so you may have heard me on their show if you've been listening, and if you haven't been listening, oh my goodness, get on it. Need to be very clear about how this came about for the sake of integrity. This is not a paid thing. We never exchanged a dime. We exchanged ad slots. And when we started advertising the show, both Mike D and Don Finelli independently messaged me and were like, are you listening to this show that's advertising with us? Because this is incredible. And I am listening. And it's so good. It is so good. It is a true murder mystery. On top of it, it really explains how New Jersey politics works, specifically that legendary South Jersey, Georgia Norcross machine. In the time since we recorded this interview, another episode's come out that dives even further into how the Norcross machine makes money in South Jersey politics. And I got to say, as someone who's like a nerd for New Jersey, who's a nerd for New Jersey politics, I don't know if I've ever heard it aired out as explicitly, where the basics are broken down so much about how stuff really works with this as I am on this podcast. So... Outside of the fact that we traded ads, we said we need to interview Nancy Solomon, who is the journalist behind this a really incredible series that I want 
everybody to go listen to. So this has nothing to do with our ad trade. This has the, to do with the fact that three out of the six gagoots listened to this and lost their minds. And now Andrea's listening to it too, now that we all have lost our minds. Uh, Nancy Solomon is really incredible. Um, besides putting this out for WMIC, has been covering New Jersey politics for 20 years, which God bless anybody who can take on that job and sort out what's going on, has won Peabody Awards, multiple. One for a project back in 2008, 2009, one in 2014 for reporting on Chris Christie. Uh, I mean, this is a person who I cannot believe spent time slumming it with us, uh, but you'll soon hear. Nancy has a great sense of humor, and we talked a lot about the specifics of the Dead End podcast, what goes into that, the specifics of reporting on a political machine that is ultra-powerful while you're also reporting on a murder uh, that is, is at least tied to the machine in the sense that one of the people murdered worked for them on some level or worked with them on some level. Uh, listen to the show for more on that. And then we also talk more broadly about what's it like reporting on New Jersey politics as a whole. So you'll hear a lot uh, that's a primer for the Dead End Podcast, which again, I highly recommend. If you are a fan of our show, you will certainly be blown away by that show. And then also the more broad topics of political reporting in New Jersey and, and, and living this life. Really admire Nancy. Really admire the work she's doing on this current podcast. Really admire the career she's been putting together for decades. Um, hugely impressed at her accomplishments, as I think anyone who looks into it will be. And we were just so, so lucky to talk to her. Thanks to Mike D for organizing it. Thanks to Nancy for taking the time. Thanks to you for listening. And we'll see you at Asbury Park Wednesday night. 973-780-4660 is the voicemail line. Get in touch. Join the Patreon. We have fun. You have fun. Enjoy the show. The series is great, first of all. It, so congratulations. Well, just in a an entertainment and journalism perspective, you're nailing it. Well done. Oh, thank you so much. That's really nice. I want to ask about the timing because, I mean, you mentioned it on the show, and I'm very, very fascinated to see where the series is going because we, you know, I cannot claim to have any sense of journalistic integrity. I am a comedian by trade. Most of our shows are just, we get together on different topics and we shoot the breeze and it's, it's, we mess around and we tell jokes and it's loose and it's funny. Whereas you are someone who puts thought and effort into your work. But one thing that's been like a very Jersey story of the past few months is the recent revelations about this guy, Sean Cattle. And obviously those murders in Jersey city were horrific. He's very connected politically. And you mentioned it on the series that, a lot of people have pointed out the similarities between these and the murders you're covering. But what you're doing is at a high level. This does not fall out of the sky. So I, I do wonder, how long have you been working on Dead End before that Sean Cattle news broke? Is this a super exciting thing for you to have that break halfway through? Is there any part of you that's like, oh, I already did all the homework on this? <laughs> Are there both elements there? Oh, there were definitely both elements, but, you know, I, I mean, to answer your question, I've been working on this for three years, um, two years intently on the podcast, um, first starting as sort of a piloting process and then getting that greenlit and digging in all the time, full time into it. Uh, but for the year before I started the podcast and pitched the idea, I was working on a series of stories and I had a, you know, usually I just do stuff, you know, day by day by day, but I had a grant from the news organization ProPublica to just focus on one set of stories. And it was looking into, it started out as the real bosses of New Jersey. We were going to look at all the political machines that turned out to be highly unrealistic for one year. And there was so much going on uh, in South Jersey with the George Norcross run political machine that I never got beyond that because I couldn't keep up with those stories and couldn't really uh, get ahead of that one. So I spent a year doing that. And in the process of uh, looking at this crazy uh, set of circumstances around the Camden waterfront and development there, um, that's when I realized that there was a connection to John Sheridan 
a man who had been you know brutally murdered with his wife in his home and it had been such a crazy story that never made sense and i had followed it more you know from a distance just because i was interested in it because it touched on politics he was a, a political insider himself um and very well connected and so it was just a curious odd story that I had followed. Then when I realized that he was connected to this thing I was working on, on the Camden waterfront, um, that's what really got me going. And then, you know, I, then after that first year, then I've spent now two more years trying to, trying to solve the case, which <clears throat> I've kind of miserably failed at that particular part of it. I have not solved the murder. Well, it's also not your job. And as you point out so skillfully in the series, the people whose job it is, maybe not crushing it by the standards of the profession either. So I, I don't think it's on you to solve the case. It's, in some ways, it maybe has been made harder, it seems, by the people who are tasked with, with actually solving it. Yeah, and it really, it turned out, I think, you know, at this point, I can say with a fair degree of confidence that the first investigators on the scene were incompetent and did uh, just, you know, not only did they misread the situation and do a poor job of, of investigating, but they messed up the crime scene and, and made it impossible for, uh, or maybe not impossible, made it difficult that anyone was going to come in and be able to figure out what had happened. Um, and then, so those were the local county uh, detectives. Um, but then the real question and the driving question for me in these last two years has been, why didn't the attorney general's office intervene? This, this case had all the hallmarks of a situation in which we'd want our top law enforcement agency looking at it. Um, and that's where it really raises troubling questions about, you know, both competence and political corruption. And, you know, why, why is it that, uh, the agency that we rely on uh, hasn't really done much in the last 20 years in terms of political corruption and major crimes in the state. Now, this leads to a question about a potential spoiler, and I don't want it spoiled because I, I just listened to the most recent episode today. So if, if, it's gonna, if it's leading to a topic you're going to dissect, let me know, and I'll just bite my tongue not only did their office not get involved, but you also point out something that made my jaw drop, which is that the the son of the deceased was a lawyer who worked for the campaign of Chris Christie. This is not, you know, you start to think in Jersey, a lot of people might go, oh, well, you need a favor and this and that. And it's like, oh, no, this is someone who got, would theoretically would get priority and would get those favors. And not even because of New Jersey political scumbaggeriness, but because, hey, like we all know you and your family and you and you're up here. You do a really great job um, thus far in the series of asking a lot of questions, but there's one you haven't asked. And it's almost like you're leaving this space that's raising the question in my head, which is when you have someone that high connected and they can't get the attorney general to actually step around on this. It almost starts to make you wonder, is there someone asking for that not to happen? That is the unspoken question. So if you're going to deal with that, you let me know, I'll bite my tongue. But if you have <laughs> theories on that that you'd like to air out here, it's starting to become very, the more I listen to your work, Nancy, the more I'm going, this feels like someone with power is making sure that this doesn't get investigated because there's no reason for it not to get investigated otherwise based on who these people are. These are people of stature. Well, and uh, I'm not sure I can answer that question, not because it would be a spoiler, but because I think um, it really, it's, it's the question that needs to be asked and it's being asked and the facts really lead you to that question and I haven't been able to answer that one either. I haven't been able to answer why it is that uh, that the governor, Chris Christie, at the height of his powers in 2014, um, doesn't make a phone call and say, hey, I, I want to see some action on this case. You know, I there there's the whole curious story of. Um, because the detectives thought it was a murder-suicide, then John Sheridan's death certificate for the manner of death 
says suicide. And it takes 200 prominent people in New Jersey to sign a letter to get the state to back down and change that death certificate. And I just found that when that was happening in 2014, I was kind of watching from a distance and thinking, John Sheridan was a Republican. Why is the Republican governor of New Jersey who knew him personally and who his son was, you know, a lawyer working for him. uh, And the son, Mark Sheridan was also the lawyer for the state Republican party. Why are they not at the very least saying, Hey, something's weird here. Let's at least just change the death certificate to undetermined, which is what they were asking for. So I just felt like, Uh, there were some levers of power being exercised that I could never truly, you know, get to the bottom of. But I think in some sense, asking the right questions kind of, I mean, it led you there, right? It led you to wonder what, you know, how the heck does anybody get justice in this state if a powerful politically connected family can't get justice? It's shocking. It's, it's, it really does seem to go beyond just the, you know, like you said, clear cut incompetence from the, you know, hearing interviews with the sons of the deceased as they talk about entering the family's home and seeing evidence lying around, seeing things that were clearly just like picked up and tossed. You go, oh, that's just, I'm I'm a comedian by trade and I know how to act at a crime scene better than that. Like that's ludicrous. But then the further it goes up the, the further it goes up the, the chain and the more you realize that inaction was there, it, 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 it's, it is, it's really scary and it feels sinister, which leads me to a question. I'm, uh, I, I, I'm, I gotta, I'm going to ask and that I'm so fascinated by your answer because you mentioned this, this project was born out of your fascination with political machines. That was the initial idea. And then it evolved. And, Mike came out to me. We are obsessed with political machines here at New Jersey is the world. We are lucky in that we are a very lighthearted show and we can find them funny. Um, and we can see like the Game of Thrones nature of New Jersey politics is funny, but not everybody does. And it's not always funny. And I can say, I'm not going to say too much because I want to respect that this person talked to me. Uh, but I, d- I will tell you, there was someone I once asked to interview on the show who was an expert with the machines who told me, they would love to talk, but they can't talk on the record with me because they have actual fear of George Nor- Norcross. This was expressed to me. Um, meanwhile, your most recent episode, you aired out Norcross in a way that I've never heard anyone do. Um, I'm I'm far from an expert. You cover New Jersey politics. Um, I want to talk to you about all of it beyond just this case. But in terms of this case, I mean, Sheridan worked for Norcross. It's very, very valid for you to therefore bring all this stuff up. But the most recent episode really just broke down Norcross's methodology, where his power came from. Hearing that Steve, hearing that you found email chains where Steve Sweeney would send him the legislative slate to get the okay on what bills New Jersey passed that just some unelected guy got to review what bills got but i went whoa hearing the methodology of he mails out tickets to fundraisers you don't have to go but you better buy that amount of tickets hearing interviews with you know former Cam- former camden county council people who said i voted against his wishes once and was immediately and forever punished for it you've aired out this guy in a way that i haven't heard before and i feel like maybe some people have but is it daunting to you? Because other people have expressed to me that he is a daunting guy. Oh, it's definitely daunting. I mean, so I sort of, <laughs> I joke at times, like, am I, am I brave or am I just stupid? Um, I'm not sure what the answer to that question is. Um, but I will say um, I have spoken to people as as you mentioned that you've had this kind of a conversation. I've spoken to people who are afraid Um, And that runs the gamut of elected officials, uh, real estate developers, um, just political operatives. I mean, I've heard, you know, there there is a fear factor. Um, And that and I I I think I can say that without 
casting aspersions. I mean, it, because people are afraid of George Norcross doesn't mean that he's necessarily uh, committed violence against anybody. But it has worked in his favor that some people are afraid of him. And, um, and I think so. I think that's a worthy, you know, something that really needs to get kind of explored and talked about and understood. Um, one of the other things you said that I want to comment on, you know, John Sheridan would have would have liked your show because he um, he liked to he thought New Jersey politics were funny. Um, I interviewed John Farmer, former attorney general, who's now at Rutgers, you know, who said that the two of them used to get together at the Princetonian diner and laugh about politics and the all the the trouble that people would get themselves into so he definitely saw the humor in new jersey politics as many of us do um and so it's sort of you know and it's a for me it's a bit of a struggle when i talk about it like i want to be respectful of the fact that um this this couple were brutally murdered in their home and that is no laughing matter um, and I don't want to, you know, trounce on their memory. But at the same time, New Jersey politics, as Matt Katz said in episode five, is absurd. And um, and some of that's structural. You know, we have the machine system that runs New Jersey politics uh, and affects the way people vote and who they vote for. Uh, it's one of the remnants in this country. Like, it's still alive and well in New Jersey in a way that it is that is not true around the rest of the country. There's been reform uh, in most states, um, and here we still have machine-run politics and elections that are very much dictated by what the machine decides, who it's going to endorse, and how those, you know, the ballots are designed. All of that comes down to, you know, machine control over our politics and our democracy. Really, I. I mean, I used to work at Weird New Jersey Magazine, grew up in the New Jersey music scene, have always considered myself, even in the era when I lived in New York to pursue my my uh, comedy, I was considered myself an artist representing New Jersey. But I'll tell you, my love of New Jersey politics, not even love, because love denotes positivity. My fascination with New Jersey politics is within the past few years. And I can say, like, if you're... I'm very heavy into Jersey and love it and love the minutia and all of it. I think I can say, and I wonder if you'd agree with me, most New Jersey residents probably don't realize how weird our political infrastructure is. I don't think on a day-to-day basis, the residents of New Jersey understand that it is designed in a way that is easily rigged and often is. And that there is a real Game of Thrones happening in this state between these power players, most of whose name the average voter will never know or care about. And it's happening all day, every day, affecting their tax dollars and the, you know, their kids, the, the money that goes to their kids' schools and the money that goes to their roads. It's happening all day. And I do you agree with me that most Jersey voters, they don't realize how weird it is out there i don't even think i understood it for years even as a as a reporter covering new jersey i didn't understand i didn't realize when i went into the the voting booth to vote and i you know ticked off who i wanted to vote for on the ballot i didn't even notice that it was a cockamamie way to arrange the ballot to have you know, everybody from uh, like on a slate from different positions, you know, from the town dog catcher up to the governor on on one row and not not grouping as every single state in the country. Every other one except us does where you group all the candidates for governor, all the candidates for Senate, all the candidates for your local state legislative race. That's how most people do it. In New Jersey, you have this crazy line with all the, you know, mixed in, the governor, the senator, uh, the local mayor. And you don't even, it's sort of like the, you know, we're the, the fish not noticing the water. It's just kind of how you go, you vote on this ballot. The ballot's crazy and it's undemocratic. And yet 
it's there are groups that have been working to change it and they can't even get it changed when it's so patently unfair. It is, uh, I think historically it has been most pronounced in South Jersey, which is kind of known as Norcross's territory to bring him back up. Um, I've recently followed a Twitter account that I, I imagine you are familiar with. If not, I think you'll love it as much as I do. It's some, called something like Camden County Ghost Candidates or, or something along those <laughs> yeah. lines. It just tracks the amount of people who run in Camden County who um, oftentimes it's been said. I, I, we, we interviewed Matt Friedman, who writes the NJ mm-hmm. Playbook at Politico. And he told me he once did a story on all these candidates who didn't even seem to know that they were running on the ballot whose names had just been placed there. And I mean, there is chicanery, especially in South Jersey, but let's not pretend this dialogue. I wonder if you'd agree to answer the dialogue that South Jersey is the one that gets really crazy. It doesn't mean that the rest of the state doesn't have this crazy stuff going on, but if someone named Mark Johnson runs in South Jersey and they don't want you to win, they might go find a Mark Johnston in your district and force him to run just so you get confused. Um, If they will invent political parties, if you're running under something, this is arbitrary, not real, but if you were running under the, rah-rah progressive party and they don't want that to win they will start a party called the progressive rah-rah party and run a candidate so you get confused these are the types of things that have actually happened in recent memory we're not talking about the old school jersey city chicago daily and hague family machines this has happened this is happening i mean this election last election all the elections people don't know this Right. I mean, ballot Siberia, taking the opposition candidate in the primary and moving them 10 spaces, like 10 columns over to the to the right hand side and putting them all alone. So they just like look like some you, you that image kind of just speaks crazy kook candidate who nobody knows like when you're in that position in the no. ballot. So and then in the middle, they run their phantoms. Uh, and yeah, and the yeah the progressive activists who are fighting this in South Jersey, they just recently had a huge victory where they they challenged the signature petitions for the ghost candidates, and some of them weren't even like they weren't registered for the party that you know the Democratic Party. They weren't. I mean, I can't even remember. There were there were their signatures. Um, the petitions were filled with signatures of people who were like it was the same signature for five people, and you could kind of see that it, the same person had just signed all the names. And they found all kinds of problems, and they actually won. They they challenged the signatures, and they won. So there is this new generation of activists who are fighting this. Um, but yeah, it's all over the state, and um, and I think it's just the air we breathe. People don't even realize it. And, you know, one of the things I was hoping, I thought at the beginning of the Phil Murphy administration, I thought he, he signaled that he was really going to go after some of this stuff and go after political corruption. Um, and I was hoping that his people were going to start talking about the corruption tax, which is, you know, all the, I mean, how expensive it is and how high our taxes are and not all of it, but some of that is because of corruption. So that would be a good way to kind of build political and public support for fighting it. But I don't know, it's been kind of a, I mean, I don't want to be too harsh on the governor, but it's been kind of a disappointment. Like he seems to have taken his foot off the gas on that issue and it's disappointing. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm, the governor, the governor's been very kind. The governor's appeared on this show, which was, as you can imagine, for a scrappy little podcast, huge for us. Um, the governor's been kind to me personally in the times that I've met him. I also understand that I'm being played a little bit. He's a politician, that so that I get things like, you know, you see that with Sweeney's downfall that Norcross's power is lessened, but then you also, again, you know way better than I, and I'd love your perspective on this, but I go, oh, and then... It doesn't seem like we're using this as an opportunity to say, okay, the Norcross machine seems to be weak right now. Now's the time to clean it up. It seems a little bit more like from the outside perspective that I have. Again, 
you know the machines more than I do because oh, it seems like a little bit, it seems like they're trying to make sure that Chairman Leroy up in Essex County makes sure he solidifies what some of that power was. It seems like the central Jersey Democrats are trying to make sure they get their piece of that pie now that the pie is being carved up. doesn't seem like anyone's saying we shouldn't bake these pies anymore. It seems like they're going, who's going who's gonna to get the chance to grab it and be the new ones making those calls? And that is really disappointing. And Murphy is the captain of the ship with the Democrats right now. So he is theoretically the most powerful person who could step in and go, now's our time to stop the nonsense. And he's not doing it. He's not doing it. I'll tell you, though, I don't like high taxes. And I think this stuff is bad. There's also part of me that thinks it's like fascinating and hilarious. Will you miss it when hopefully it does go away someday? Will you miss it as a person? It's got to be more fun than covering politics in like... I don't know, New Virginia, York, Virginia or something, right? <laughs> like it's got to be more fun. I always say, I think it's the best beat in America. Um, I, I do. I love it. And I'm always teasing my colleagues in New York who think they've reached the pinnacle of, uh, you know, journalism to be in the, the biggest market in the country in the biggest city. And I think, Oh, New York politics are so tame and boring compared to Jersey. Um, so I do love it and it is uh, enormously entertaining. Um, but I'd also like to see it change because I live here and, um, and I agree with you hundred percent. I mean, you know, the, the party bosses could go to jail today and many of them in the past have gone to jail. They could go to jail today and new bosses will just come right up behind them. You know, John Lynch, the Central Jersey Party boss, was the most powerful political boss of his day in the, I want to say, late 1990s and early 2000s. And he went to jail. And look who became the powerful guy who took over, George Norcross. And so it's, you know, you can't just see it as individuals. You really have to look at the system. And the different ways, the, the power, you know, and I think that, you know, the power of the ballot, the reason I keep coming back to that is it's such a simple fix, um, you know, to take away the ability of the machine to endorse candidates and that that then controls how the ballot's laid out. I mean, that's just set a setup for, for corruption. I will. And again, obviously I'm like half facetious here and I, I'm treating these people almost like a little kid would treat baseball cards, like collect them all. I do have to ask, are there any, are there any current Jersey political bosses that are amongst your favorites? <laughs> we're, we all, most of us involved in this show grew up in West Orange. So we're all big Do D Joe D guys. We all like Joe D. Um, the zoo, the Turtleback Zoo was a real sad place when I was a kid and now that zoo is great, and I don't know what strings he had to pull, but you'd follow his Instagram, and he treats the zoo like his own personal backyard, like it's his zoo. And he fixed that zoo up, so I give him credit on that. And He's, uh, he's I been very good on parks. Oh, like he loves did. a good, and he loves naming things. There's a lot of, there, I think there's going to be a lot of DiVincenzo blanks in Essex County for many decades to come. And then I know when Matt Friedman was on the show, he, uh, I had not heard much. He illuminated Brian Stack to me. He told me, do you know Union City? A tiny little Union City is its own self-contained machine. I said, how can that be? And he basically told me, if you live in Union City, Brian Stack, he said, you know, you got this Irishman who doesn't speak Spanish, who in historically Cuban Union City, he, I, I believe if I remember right, the way he described it was he gets, he gets, uh, Numbers in the voting polls that Saddam Hussein used to rig is is how beloved he is in the wow. city. Are there any any other bosses out there that you want to give shout outs because they're doing good jobs for their constituents at the end of the day? <laughs> well, I think uh, I'm certainly not the first person to say this. I think the Middlesex County machine is kind of the ascendant one. Um, and... Uh, that's Kevin McCabe, and um, that was John Lynch territory, but now uh, Kevin McCabe has really brought the uh, the county political organization back and to statewide prominence and power, and they were kind of the, well, and you have Craig Coughlin, who's the Speaker of the Assembly, came out of the, the Middlesex political organization. Um, so, you know, that's a good one. I love the story of uh, how uh, Craig Coughlin had this, 
um, little kind of, he's a, you know, he's a lawyer who had like a little uh, shop across, like a, an office above a shop, uh, a few rooms, very modest, um, and now has this big firm with many, many lawyers that's like, you know, on one of those like office parks right off the highway. Um, so he's come up in uh, the for- in his fortunes, uh, becoming Speaker of the, of the Assembly. Um, so, and then I guess Union County is pretty interesting. I mean, Nick Scutari is the boss of Union County. He's now become the Senate president. Um, and, uh, you know, he just won a, a uh, interesting defamation case where the um, political elected officials in the, in the town, uh-oh, which town is it? It's not Rahway. It's some, <laughs> I've already forgotten. One of the towns in Union County um, sort of took issue with him. He was the local prosecutor. I mean, this is the thing about Jersey, right, is that you have people involved in politics. Brian Stack is a great example. Nick Scutari, uh, they're, they, where they're, um, they're in the legislature they serve sometimes on their like their mayor or town council, the county prosecutor. Like they hold, you know, two and three and four public jobs at all at the same time. You know, there's another example. I mean, that's just something. There just ought to be a law, right? There ought to be a law. Like you, you you, you're elected to the state legislature, serve in the state legislature. You shouldn't also be on your local school board and on your town council, and have an actual job working for the county. I mean, that's, you know, that's just, to me, that's a problem. So, um, yeah, so I would say Union and Middlesex are interesting to watch. Um, It'll be really interesting to see what happens with Nick Scutari as the Senate president, um, and exactly what his alliances are going to be, and where he's going to take that. It is, it is true. You know, you see, and, and I, I think they have, like, I know, for example, like uh, Stack, the party did recently, it was looking like it was going to be a real story. And then the North Bergen um, boss back there, the idea that North Bergen right next door to Union City had its own boss, who's uh, um, his name, Nick as well, Sacco, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> but uh, those are good examples. I, I do believe now that it's like, the people who are mayors and state level are grandfathered in as such, but you can no longer run for that moving forward, I believe, but stack is grandfathered in that type of thing. But when you point out that these people are able to hold so many jobs, you go, well, that just means like if you make an enemy of them, they have so many petty angles in which to mess your life up, right? Like if someone, like someone on the school board could you want to make sure your kids, maybe your kid's bus doesn't stop at the stop that picks them up. Or if they're on the sanitation board, maybe your garbage accidentally, quote unquote, doesn't get picked up. And these people hoard all these little positions where you just go, I wouldn't mess with the one person who had that job and you have six of them. That should be six individuals I don't want to mess with. And you're one. It's, It's really intimidating. And again, kudos to you for being a New Jersey resident willing to even speak so publicly about all this stuff because I wonder, I mean journalists hold rarefied air. Um, I have to imagine that journalists are not always viewed as friends of Jersey politicians Um, covering this stuff. Is it ever stressful in that sense of these are notoriously petty people trying to hang on to power Sometimes the smallest slivers of power. It's shocking to me how small an area some of these machines cover. Um, I do want to just say kudos to you. Thank you for being one of the journalists out there. Journalism is more important than I think society is remembering the past few years. Also, is it a headache for you? Is it a thing you have to think about? Well, thanks for the kudos. Um, You know, New Jersey is a bona fide news desert. No question. Um, you know, the, the amount of reporters that we have covering the state is just a tiny fraction of what there used to be not that long ago. Um, so there's that problem. I guess, you know, there hasn't been an attack on a journalist since I've been around. Um, 
So it's not like a fear that I have. You know, what I've seen happen with the machines is that a journalist who's really doing a good job digging in will sometimes get offered a job, uh, a really nice paying job, which, you know, most of us don't get paid very well. So, um, you know, when you've got a family to support and your property taxes to pay, um, I can see why that's a very appealing thing. And, And it seems like more often than not, journalists have been co-opted rather than uh, attacked in any physical sense. So that's kind of where I'm hanging my hat. It's a dismal state of affairs. Right? I'd almost rather they not pick up my garbage rather than go, oh, journalism is a profession that, that we are not valuing to the point where they can just go, you want to be a PR? You want to be a PR flack on this upcoming campaign? We'll triple your salary and give you better insurance. Like they could just yeah. do that with journalists. Yeah, and I don't mean to cast any aspersions on journalists who have taken like you know there there's a there's a very uh, popular route from uh, working in journalism to becoming the like spokespeople for elected officials, and I'm not saying you know that they're just being co opted and bought off. It's but it's you know there's been it's economically it's been really difficult for reporters in this state, and uh, you know and you've watched. The, you know, for most people, for most reporters, they've watched their news organizations basically fall to pieces economically. And so, you know, and, and it becomes the job becomes more and more frustrating when the resources get tighter and tighter and tighter, because then you're scrambling. You know, you don't just have like uh, one beat, but you've got like five beats or 10 beats. You know, you've got so much ground to cover. And uh, so people are working way harder and with fewer resources. And so, you know, it's it's a real recipe for people who can leave to leave. So um, there are lots of, you know, so the, the pressure is very real. And um, and I'd say that's that's the biggest threat. To journalism in New Jersey is is more uh, the lack of resources and the the cook the collapse of the economic model. Um, let's bring it back to the Sheridan case because I could pick your brain about the way the state works all day because it's so fascinating to me. Um, I have to imagine that listeners of your show, which again, again, for anybody who, if you like our podcast, it is a no brainer. You should be listening to dead end. And it just, it's, it's a well-delivered murder mystery that's unfolding in real time. Um, I have to imagine that every development that happens with Sean Cattle, you're keeping a very close eye on, are you, you, you must be almost writing the show in real time at this point i am sadly i am writing it at this point um and uh yeah and the sean cattle case is i mean yeah we're all watching it closely um i've i've got one source who's it's kind of a source who's been told so it's not right from the horse's mouth that the fbi does not think that the two cases are connected. Um, But we've been so let down by law enforcement with the Sheridan case. I don't know why. Uh, Frankly, I don't have enough trust to believe anything anyone would say at this point. Like if, if, if there is evidence to show that the cattle case is not connected to the Sheridan case, um, then put some of that out publicly because I, I, I have no faith at this point. Um, you know, and the reason why we're all so focused on it is because the MO is so similar. You know, it's, uh, you know, a stabbing of someone involved in New Jersey politics and then the house set on fire happening four months apart. Um, and, you know, in the one case, the guy, George Brett Sennis, the hitman, had mob connections um, and he had a kitchen knife, which is figures prominently in the Sheridan murder. He has a kitchen knife in his car when he's arrested the day after the Sheridans are murdered. He's arrested for a bank robbery on the Monday in Connecticut. Um, so there's just so much there. And, uh, you know, I can't prove that they're connected, but I'd like someone to prove to me that they're not. 
Yeah, I mean, when you put it like that, you, you sit together, you go. It is one of the questions that pops into my mind as I listen to your show over and over again, which is, again, it goes back to what we were talking before. You don't want to just throw around the phrase cover up, but you sit, I sit here, I go, I'm just some guy sitting in my house in Morris County going, I see dots that you could be connecting. I see them in the most surface level reporting on this, like just the facts. You could just put bullet points of the facts and I could go, guys, like get to work here. <laughs> so I love how you phrased that of these cases are so similar that I think any New, any New Jersey resident who would read about them would go, obviously they're connected to a degree that you have to show me they're not. Do you, do you have faith that, you know, We've mentioned the attorney general's office. You've mentioned the FBI. They've maybe indicated to a source at some point that they don't believe there's a connection. Do you have faith that you'll ever be able to access or we'll all ever be able to access the investigations they've done, the information they've accrued, or is that just stuff that's going to die in somebody's notepad somewhere? No, I have faith still. <laughs> Maybe it's crazy that I do, but I, I do have faith. And um, I think uh, I think I think one of several possible scenarios will play out. One being that the case gets reopened and we see some good investigative work on it with by people who know how to solve murders and who have subpoena power. Um, I think another scenario is that just, you know, is that we get some kind of jailhouse confession where somebody is caught doing something and they get a better sentence in a plea bargain by uh, either turning on somebody involved in the Sheridan case or admitting to it themselves. Um, so I think that's a possibility of what could happen. Um, you know, and I think going back to the, the crazy similarities between the Sean Cattle uh, case, I mean, he's the political operative who paid two hitmen to go murder somebody else. Um, between that case and the Sheridan cases, how crazy is it that in 2014, four months apart, two people involved in New Jersey politics are murdered and they're murdered in exactly the same way? And there's no law enforcement agency, whether it's the state, the counties, the feds, no law enforcement agency says, hey, wait a minute. I mean, this is what happens on TV, right? They figure out, oh, there was a case just like this one over here. Let's look at that and see if they're connected. Well, apparently that doesn't happen in New Jersey. Um, and so that's, that's why the cattle case is so astounding and why it has our attention is because how could they have not connected the dots in 2014? What was going on that they weren't paying attention to these things? I'm sure you've been sniffing around. Are you trying to talk to cattle? Any chance we hear you talk to this guy? Any chance you get a microphone in front of this guy? I don't think so. I don't think that's going to happen. But I think there's going to be some really good stuff coming in episode six and seven. Ooh. And I don't want to spoil it for you. Oh, that's the tease. I love it. I mean, I, be, before your podcast even came out, you know, there were, when the news broke about um, these murders, which by the way, not only did he pay for a killing, supposedly he, where the money was exchanged was in the parking lot of a diner in Elizabeth, which is just a chef's kiss, New Jersey moment right there. Yes. That is just, I mean, that's as good as when Edison inventing the, you know, Edison turning on the black Mariah for the first time, the Hindenburg crashing, Sean cattle, giving someone money to kill someone else in the parking lot of an Elizabeth diner, just pure distilled Jersey moments uh, right there. Right away, there were people going, it seems like this guy is getting some kid glove treatments based on the severity of this. I wonder if he's, you, you had mentioned, maybe there will be a jailhouse confession. There's people speculating pretty instantly. I wonder if he's going to be the canary that, that sings, so to speak. 
Yeah, I if I I'm just now speculating. This is you know rank speculation. I have no facts to base this on, but my money is on a political corruption case that he's not he has knowledge of, and that's what's keeping him uh, at on home detention and not in prison at the moment. Um, but your gut instinct you know, is see. not that it's this murder; it's that he's there's political. politicians on the line here. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's going to be juicy in its own right. Yeah, something to look forward to. (laughs) Um, Well, I want to thank you. I feel like you and I could just keep sitting and chit-chatting. I don't want to waste too much of your time, but I I have to thank you for taking the time to do this, and I have to thank you for the show. And I have to encourage our listeners um, so sincerely, if we were smarter people with patience and skills and abilities and um, integrity and know-how. It's the exact type of story that we wish we could be telling here on our show. And I'm glad you are telling it because it's, uh, it's, it's a gripping listen. I don't want to say a fun listen because there's also details of a, of a horrific murder, but it, it is that really skillful blend of genuine journalism with that podcast format that a lot of people use for their entertainment and, uh, and you're nailing it. And I can't thank you enough for taking the time to slum it with us today. (laughs) Oh no, it was my pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks again to Nancy Solomon for talking to us today. And she passed along some audio teasing the next episode of dead end. And I got to tell you, it's the exact type thing that makes me obsessed with this show. I, I said in the intro and I said in the course of the show, she's really airing out the machine how this state works. Well, here's a clip where she has a quote from someone who knows exactly how it works, a former governor. That's always the tell at the end of the day. That's the, that's the big issue because you control the budget and you certify the revenue so that you can hamstring any, any department if you wanted to. Seriously, everybody, Dead End is great. Nancy is great. The show is... in. It, Intriguing. The story is baffling. You're going to love it. Thanks again, Nancy, for talking to us. Thank you for listening to this presentation of New Jersey is the World. New Jersey is the World is Chris Gethard, Nikki Bonaduce, Don Finelli, Andrea Quinn, Carson Cobb, and Mike D. New Jersey is the World is produced and edited by Carson Cobb, Mike D., and Andrea Quinn. You can find us online at New Jersey is the World and on Instagram at New Jersey is the World. Also, please feel free to reach out and leave us a voicemail by contacting the home office of New Jersey is the World at 973-780-4660 in regards to anything show or New Jersey related. Please subscribe and listen to more episodes of New Jersey is the World on your favorite podcast service. If you're looking to join our extremely opinionated and Jersey-ish community, head on over to Patreon.com and search for New Jersey is the World. We have merch, which you can find at BelowTheCollar.com after searching for Chris Gethard. Once again, thank you for listening to this presentation of New Jersey is the World. New Jersey is the World, where New Jersey is the World.